Well, Happy New Year, everybody. Thanks so much for being here today. If you're new, my name is Adam. Welcome. We're glad you're here at the church. I know a lot of people are watching online right now. I was just uh, checking out the live stream myself, and there's a whole bunch of you there. So hello, wherever you are. Uh, thanks for joining us today as we worship God together. And I just want to say to all of you that are here, and you know, online as well, congratulations. Congratulations on your perfect attendance this year. Well done. And uh, keep it going. Don't, don't stop now. You know, online counts too. So uh, whether, whether you're stuck at home because of sickness or whatever it is, or you're here with us in the room, we're glad you're here. And we get to study God's word right now, which I am excited about. But before we do that, I, I do just want to piggyback on what John and Nick were talking about. I've been through Rooted twice now. It is a wonderful experience. And it, what I love about it is that it meets you where you're at. So if you are a new believer, or even if you're not a follower of Jesus, this is a great introduction to what it means to have faith in God and, and to who Jesus is and understanding sort of the basics of what we believe and why. But if you've been a follower of Jesus for a very long time, it really does kind of meet you where you're at and asks you challenging questions that you can kind of take it and, and make it your own at whatever level you are at. So I just encourage everyone to go through it at some point this next year. It'll be great for us. Would love to have our entire church go through it in 2022. And then from that point on, we'll continue to offer it and hopefully just see more and more people in our community get plugged in through it. And maybe we'll see a lot of people get into um, a relationship with Jesus through the Rooted experience, which would be amazing. But also, right now, especially at more than any other time, we just have these isolated lives, don't we? Because of COVID, because of everything going on in the world, there's just a, there's a separation, there's loneliness, there's discouragement, <clears throat> all kinds of difficulties that we have in getting together as people. And Rooted is one of those things that can help us connect with other people. You know, I know for many people in this church, you've got lots of great relationships and you've got a group that you're in. Some of you have a Sunday morning group and a small group like we do. Some of you have one or the other or just groups of Christians that you're connected with. And we need those. The, the body of Christ is supposed to be in relationship with each other so that we can encourage each other and challenge each other and hold each other accountable and pray for each other and bear each other's burdens. We can't do that unless we're living life together. But if you're not someone that kind of has those relationships right now, Rooted is probably going to be the best way to get that started. You're going to get paired up with other people and, and you're not stuck with them forever, okay? It can just be a temporary thing. Uh, but if it does work out well and you meet some great people, you could launch a group out of that and there's some wonderful things that could happen. So end of, end of promo, but I just think Rooted is really, really exciting and something everyone should be a part of. I'd love for you to take advantage of that. We're in First Timothy. Again, we took a short break for Christmas. We had the arrival series. We talked about biblical prophecy and, and the star and, and baby Jesus and Mary and Joseph. And we got into all that stuff and that was a lot of fun. And we just took a little break from our study of 1 Timothy. We're back into it now. So open your Bibles there if you would. 1 Timothy chapter 6. And we've got just a few more weeks of this. So let's finish strong in 1 Timothy 6, starting in verse 6. We're going to read this and then we'll unpack it together. Paul says to Timothy, his young protege in Ephesus that he's writing to, trying to give him advice that he's supposed to then pass on to all of the Christians in Ephesus. He says, true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction for the love of money 
is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Before we go any further, would you just bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Ask God to speak to us through his word this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for these words written down for us some 2,000 years ago that came from you through your spirit to the Apostle Paul who shared them with Timothy so that he could share these words with his church. And now here we are a couple of millennia later talking about them in our church our local church. And God, I pray that you would help these words to sink deep into our hearts today. There are areas of our lives that we need to surrender to you, God. And I pray that you would use our time this morning to reveal those to us. Show us those things that we have not turned over to you. Show us those things that, that need your attention. And God, I pray that you would, you would do a mighty work in our hearts today as we, as we study your word and try to be faithful to it. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen. So here's the thing. One of the things we saw from really Black Friday through Christmas, but we see it all year long, is that there is a huge amount of interest in the world on making you feel discontent. There's a tremendous amount of money. In fact, companies will spend hundreds of billions of dollars a year just trying to make you feel discontent. I actually looked it up. Last year, it was $289 billion that was spent on marketing to try to make you think that what you have isn't good enough, that you need new, that you need better. And that really is the real goal of most marketing, isn't it? It's to make us feel like what I have isn't good enough anymore. I need something different. I mean, that phone that you've got that's like a couple years old, you really need a new one of those, don't you? And your car, five-year-old car, They've got all these new features now. Did you know some of these cars can park themselves? Like you really need a new car. And every year we get a few minor updates to different products to make us think that the one we got last year is no longer good enough anymore, even though it technically still works just fine. And we need the new model this year because it's better. It's got a few things that are different than what we had before. Now, of course, I'm not saying that it's wrong to upgrade. Sometimes there are good reasons to upgrade, and it certainly is nice to have new features, and sometimes they're very helpful, and, and that can be all good and well. But doesn't it seem like it creates a tremendous amount of discontent in us when we see that new product, that new thing that we want to have that someone else has, but we don't? And maybe for you, it's not with things. Maybe, maybe there are other things that make you discontent. Maybe it could be relationships. We wish we had the relationship that person had or the marriage that person had or the kids that person had. I wish I had the platform that person has. It could, it could be something not even relational oriented. It could be a job. I wish I had the job that they have or the connections that they have. I wish I had the, the whatever. It could be all sorts of things. And if I had those things, then maybe, just maybe, I would finally be content. If you want to see discontentment on full display, you don't need to look any further than my own children. They are a fantastic example of discontentment. Now, Christmas is a wonderful time of year, and we love Christmas. It's a little different for us than it is for a lot of people. People always ask us, like, are you going to have family in town? Are you going to go visit family? And, and we, we never are, are doing that because we have Christmas Eve services, right? So I'm doing multiple Christmas Eve services, and then I'm tired. <laughs> and so the next day, I'm kind of wiped out, and we do our family Christmas thing. Sometimes we'll have another family over in the afternoon or something like that. Um, but so we, don't, we don't go anywhere for Christmas. We just kind of stay, stay here. Um, Dad's usually pretty exhausted. You know, the afternoon might include a nap, that kind of a thing. But we do have a lot of fun opening up 
the presents. And the kids love the presents. We try to make Christmas all about Jesus, you know. We try to make it all about the real reason for the season. But come on, with kids, it's really hard for them to not feel like the main event is when I get to tear that paper open and see what I got. And they're excited. And they get cool, cool toys and fun things and educational things to put together and all of that. And then they spend the rest of the day playing with them. And for the next few days, we just had so much fun playing with all the new toys, putting everything together. It was a great time together. And then something terrible happened. My five-year-old turned six on December 29th, which means that there's a birthday that's just four days after Christmas. And you wouldn't believe it, but the other two kids were not thrilled that just one kid was getting presents on that day. Suddenly, all of the gifts from Christmas were wiped out. It's like they didn't exist because this one kid got a whole set of extra gifts. And nowhere was this more apparent than with my two-year-old daughter. So my middle child, Adeline, had a birthday. She turned six on December 29th, which coincidentally is also the date of our anniversary. So I never forget anniversary day, but also we don't really celebrate it because it's really all about the birthday, right? So we have to move anniversary celebrations to accommodate the birthday celebration. So we have this birthday, and we made the mistake of getting lots of really fun girl toys for our girl daughter turning six years old. But we also have a two-year-old girl daughter. And that two-year-old is far more aware of the concept of equity than I ever imagined. She was keenly aware of all of the frozen stuff and the, the fun girl toys that her older sister was getting, but I don't think she understood that there's a difference between Christmas and birthdays. And so how come was it that just four days earlier, we all got presents, and then today it's just her? Like, is she the favorite? What, what is going on here? And so you could just see on her face as every gift was open, it was like a part of her soul was being torn off as she just weeping and moaning and crying, and you knew exactly what was happening. Where's mine? Why can't I have what she is having right now? Why is this is so unfair? Now, I know that you never feel that way inside. Of course, you wouldn't show it on the outside, but you never feel that way inside, do you? When someone you know gets a new car, new phone, new computer, new house, new whatever, Knew something that you would like to have, and you look at it and go, oh, man, I wish I had that. What I've got, oof, it's, it's old, it's outdated. I mean, it still technically works, but, boy, I wish I had the, the nicer one, the newer one. And we feel discontent. Let's be honest. Adults struggle with this just as much as kids. We're just way, way better at hiding it. So today what I want to look at is what the Bible says about contentment and what Paul tells Timothy about being content and what he's supposed to teach to his church about being content. Obviously, this was a problem for the church in Ephesus. It's interesting, the verse just earlier, we started in verse 6, but verse 5 talks about people who saw godliness as a way to gain wealth. For them, godliness is, for some people, godliness was a way to gain wealth. And I never really understood this. Like, why? how could you view godliness as a way to gain wealth? Until my wife and I went to a, a church that was trying to recruit us um, to, to come there and work there and for me to be the pastor there. And I wanted to know everything I could about this church. And so I asked a lot of questions and tried to, to figure out, like, what's the demographics and what are they into and just try to really understand the people well. And one of the things I was told I'd never heard before, they said several of the people 
um, who go to this church and are very influential in the community go to this church because it's good for business. Well, that's very interesting. How does that work exactly? Well, because of this church and its reputation in the community, this is considered to be a really good thing for you to go and be seen at and be a part of, and people will look very favorably on you, and you'll get more business, more clientele, be able to do more deals if you are seen as being a part of this church because of its reputation in the community. And so for some people, appearing to be godly was actually a way for them to gain more wealth. And I just thought that was very interesting. I'd never seen a modern-day example of what Paul might be talking about here. So he, he gives us that in verse 5. He says, some people see godliness as a way to gain wealth. And, and maybe that's one way they were talking about. Maybe there are other ways as well. I don't want to get into that. But it, it precedes verse 6 where we started, which is where Paul then says, yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. This is the follow-up to that. Some people see godliness as a way to pursue wealth, and yet Paul is saying, no, 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 true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. Now notice one word in particular here, and that is the word with. True godliness with contentment. And Paul has given us this contrast here between this over here and this over here, and there's two different things. Godliness with contentment and wealth. And which one is going to be the priority in your life? Which one are you going to pursue? Because some of the people in Ephesus were pursuing wealth and using godliness along the way to try to get there, or at least the perception of godliness. And Paul is saying, no, no, the thing you need to pursue is godliness with contentment, and that is great wealth. It's interesting to me that he does say with contentment, that you can't have one without the other. Both of them go together. Sometimes we mistakenly think that godliness is about what you know. It's about how much Bible knowledge you have, right? And especially, I think, in this country and in our Christian culture and tradition, knowing more about the Bible has often been confused with spiritual maturity and being a godly person. Uh, but I, I think all of us actually know that just having more Bible knowledge isn't enough. You have to apply it. You have to do something with it. The Bible talks about having speech that's always gracious, like it's seasoned, like it's delicious speech. It talks about how we're supposed to treat others as better than ourselves. God says we're not supposed to gossip. We're supposed to deal with our, hand, our offenses directly. He says we're supposed to be his witnesses and always ready to share the hope that we have with other people. We're supposed to bear each other's burdens. We're supposed to be constantly praying for each other. But how many Christians know what the Bible says, but they don't actually live it out in their lives? You cannot truly be godly unless you not only know God's word, but you also apply it in your life. It has to make a difference in your life. That's what it takes to be godly. And one of those principles in God's word is to be content. To be content. You cannot be godly and be greedy. If you think you're godly but you're greedy, well, then you're not really godly. You cannot have godliness without contentment. It's godliness with contentment. And that, Paul says, is a great wealth. So why does Paul give us this advice? Why is this so important? He says it has to do with our future. It has to do with our future. Now imagine with me for a minute that you had inside information that the U.S. dollar was going to be worth nothing tomorrow. And that's not super far-fetched for some of you. The U.S. dollar goes to nothing, but Bitcoin rises. What would you do? 
wouldn't you immediately rush out and exchange all of your USD for Bitcoin? If I know for sure, 100% chance this is not speculative, tomorrow the US dollar is gonna fail and Bitcoin is gonna be on the rise, I'm gonna go right now and exchange all my money into Bitcoin. Now, please, 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 this is not investment advice. Okay, this is an illustration only. I do not have inside information about any of this, just to be clear. Hypothetical, wouldn't you do that? Wouldn't you make that trade? Wouldn't you exchange all of your money in, in the US dollars or whatever the currency is into another currency that you knew was going to do better if you knew it was a sure thing? You know what's going to happen. And this is essentially the argument that Paul is going to make in the very next verse. He's, he's saying, you know something is coming where it's a different value system, where there's a different economy, and why would you invest all of your money and resources and time and energy into this economy when it's going to fail, when you know there's another economy that's coming that's so much better? He says in verse 7, after all, we brought nothing with us when we came into this world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. What he's saying is, the stuff that we accumulate, the money that we accumulate here on earth, it's not going to be worth anything once we get into eternity. We can't take it with us. Not, not much makes it over that divide. Once we get to the other side of that, there's not so much we can actually take with us that we brought from our life here on earth. What can you take with you? Well, there's the people that you lead to the Lord, the people that you lead to Jesus. There's the treasure that you've stored up from helping other people and, and from being persecuted for Jesus. And, and those that have given their life for Jesus, have rewards waiting in heaven for them. There are rewards that God has for us based on what we do on earth, and there are people that we lead to the Lord that we will see again in eternity, but as far as all the material things that we accumulate, none of that's going to make it across the divide. So why would we spend all this time researching and, and stressing out about and working so hard, some of us becoming workaholics, to accumulate more and more stuff that's not going to last very long? All of it has a very short shelf life. And so Paul says in the very next verse, verse 8, he says, So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. That should be enough for us. Someone once asked the philosopher Epicurus about the secret of happiness. What does it take for someone to really be happy? I'm not going to endorse everything this man says, but I think his response in this case was really wise. He said, Add not to a man's possessions, but take away from his desires. Add not to a man's possessions, but take away from his desires. If you add to someone's possessions, the goalpost just moves for what it takes to be happy. John D. Rockefeller was asked, how much money is enough? And he said, just one dollar more. Just a little bit more. Every time you get something, there's something new that you want to have. I mean, isn't the, the, that there's that moment of happiness that you get when you buy something new, when you get a new car, when you get a new item that you've been waiting for, when that box shows up on the porch and you open it up and it's that thing that you bought yourself? Isn't that, there's that high, that moment of happiness, and it lasts for, you know, depending on the item, five minutes to five days? And then you're thinking about what's the next thing? What else can I get? What else can I accumulate? What else can I do to chase that high? It's never enough. There's always more that we want to get. But it's all relative. It's all relative. Because it's based on the people who are around you and looking around you and seeing what types of things do they have. And do I measure up? Do I have the same kind of stuff? Do I have enough? Is it equitable? Just like my kids. I'm looking around and going, do my presents equal the same number of presents that they got? 
And are they roughly the same dollar amount? I even got asked this year, how much did you spend on that? I'm not going to answer that. That's a trap. But it's equitable. You know, you take someone in this country who has a, a job and an apartment and a smartphone and a car, and they could be considered poor in this country and yet have all those things. You take that exact same person and you transplant them somewhere else around the world and they're very wealthy. It's all relative. Contentment is not about how much you have. It's about the desire that you have for more. So it's not about adding possessions. It's about taking away desires. Problem is, those desires for more things, they lead to more problems than just desires for more things. It leads to all kinds of problems. Paul says people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. I want you to pay attention to a couple of things here. One is that the issue is not that they are rich. That's not the problem. The problem is not that they have lots of money. Paul doesn't say, hey, the people who have money, man, they got all kinds of traps and problems and temptations and they fall into ruin and destruction, so don't have money. That's not what he says. What does he say? People who long to be rich. It's the longing, it's the desire, it's the fact that I'm consumed by this, the fact that all I can think about and what I spend most of my time on and what I push other people aside for is because I want to accumulate more. More stuff, more things, more money, and it's those types of people in that pursuit of having more that fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires, and the result for them is destruction. That word for trapped right here, that word for trapped, is actually the word that's used for an animal trap, a wild animal trap, especially one that would be used for birds. And what you would do is you would take this trap and you would set it down and you'd cover it with some leaves and you'd put some, some food to bait the bird and the bird would kind of hop down and land somewhere and it would kind of look around and would see the food and, and it knows the food is good, has no idea the trap is there. And so in the pursuit of that food, it steps closer and closer and closer until bang, it's caught in the trap. Had no idea it was there. It never saw it coming because its pursuit was on something that to it looked good. It looked like a good thing to do. And this is the way the trap works for us. We think we're pursuing something good. In fact, we're very good at justifying it, aren't we? We're very good at saying, I'm doing all of this because I want financial security for my family. I'm doing all of this because I want to be respected. I'm doing all of this because I finally for once want to have the better item than Joe does. Sorry, Joe. I'm doing all of this because I want, to, I want to be able to show everybody that I did a good job with this and look at all the stuff that I accumulated. Right? We think we're pursuing something good. And all the while, we never see it coming. There's a trap that is waiting for us. There is something that is there to, to cause us to pursue many foolish and harmful desires, Paul says, that lead to destruction and ruin. It's not one thing, but many things. There are many things, Paul says, this can lead to. As we are in the pursuit of accumulating money or stuff, it leads to all kinds of problems. What kinds of things could it cause? Well, it could cost us our, our marriage if we're married. If we become a workaholic and all we ever want to do is work, 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 and we don't invest in our relationship with our spouse at all, it can hurt our relationship with our kids. If it seems like the stuff that we have is more important to us than them, and that one time they, they dent something that's very valuable to us, and all of a sudden it becomes clear that that item was more important to us than our own kids are. How about not developing any deep relationships with people? 
because all we ever do is worry about whether or not what we have looks on par with or better than what they have. And so instead of focusing on getting into each other's lives and understanding each other's hurts and, and what's happening and how we can help them and be an encouragement to them and growing deep together, instead of that, we're always thinking about, well, what do they have and what do I have and does that match up and what else do I need to have to match what they have? And so we don't form deep relationships. Or maybe we're willing to cheat a bit or steal because our desire is so strong to have that thing or to have more stuff or more money. And so we're willing to do something that could land us in jail or prison or being willing to say things that hurt your testimony as a Christ follower because you think it's going to help you get ahead at work. If our value system is based on wealth, if our primary pursuit is wealth, then God's value system very quickly moves off to the side. And so it's that longing to be rich that leads to all kinds of, of foolish desires and harmful desires. And we won't see it coming because we think we're pursuing something good, but there is a hidden trap waiting for us there if we're not pursuing God, but pursuing money. And then there's the biggest danger, which is in verse 10. Paul says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Now notice here that it's not that money is the root of all evil. It's that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. We've talked about this before, and we're going to talk about it again. Actually, we have two messages coming up this year where we're going to dive into this a little bit. So I won't spend a lot of time on it here and now other than to say that the love of money that pursuit of money, the desire for it, is what leads to all kinds of problems in our lives, all kinds of evil, f foolish and harmful desires that result in ruin and destruction or perhaps even cause us to wander away from our faith, which, as Paul says, can cause all kinds of sorrow for us. This is not just a simple matter of, oh, I spend time pursuing things and trying to make more money and so that's, that's all there is to it. And that just becomes the, the focus of my life. There are all sorts of tentacles to this that affect everything else that goes on in our lives. It causes all kinds of problems for us. And so Paul says we need to learn to be content. But how? How can we be content in a culture that is so driven toward making us feel discontent? where so much money is spent every year to make you feel like what you have isn't good enough. We just went through a season of this. So how can we be content? I want to give you three things that you can write down. If you're a note taker, you're going to love it. Three things that you can do and understand about contentment. The first one is that contentment is about the state of your heart, not the state of your account. It's about the state of your heart, not the state of your account. When you're looking at the big picture of eternity and what really matters in this life, everything here just pales in comparison to what is waiting for us there. When you recognize that all the stuff you can accumulate here does not matter worth a hill of beans in heaven, then it helps you to understand where you should prioritize and focus your time. Right after the first service, someone came up to me and told me a joke, and I'll share it with you now, and you can let me know if you think it's funny or not. There was a man who desperately wanted to be able to take some things with him to heaven. And so he prayed and said, God, if you'd just allow me to take one, one trunk of stuff, 
to heaven. That would be fantastic. And God said, you know what? I've never done this before, but for you, I'll make an exception. You can take one trunk of stuff. And the guy thought about it for a long time and decided, what am I going to take? What, what, what are the most valuable stuff I have? In fact, how can I fit as much as possible into this trunk? There's only so much that'll fit in there. And he decided that the best thing he could do is sell all of his possessions and use all that money to buy as much gold as he possibly could. And he put a ton of gold into this trunk and he took it with him to heaven. All the angels were waiting for him there because they knew this guy had this special exception. They wanted to see what did he put in the trunk? What was the most valuable thing he could bring in? And he came in there and he opened, they opened the trunk and they looked at it inside and they said, why'd you bring all this pavement? So it was a funny joke. Awesome. The most valuable thing we can accumulate here on earth is not worth anything in heaven. It's not about the state of our account. It's about the state of our heart. What does our heart look like? That's what God is going to value in us. Are we spending time investing in a relationship with God over the material things that we can accumulate? The next one is that contentment is a choice, not just a feeling. Contentment is a choice, not just a feeling. The reality is that you and I have a lot more control over our feelings and our attitude than we often want to admit. We have far more control we tend to think of ourselves as very reactionary people. How I feel is a product of what has been done to me that day. It's a product of, of how I slept that night. It's a product of what people have said about me lately. It's a product of, of all the different variables that are going on in my life. And that's where my attitude and my feelings come from. And the reality is we have far more control over what we put out to the world than we think we do. Whenever somebody says something mean to you, or, or, or slights you in some way, or ignores you in some way. It causes a reaction in you, and you have a choice in that moment to dwell in that and let that continue to define you, or to say, you know what? Compared to everything God has done for me, that's, that's small potatoes. I'm not going to allow that to control the way I'm going to behave today, the attitude I'm going to have, the emotions I'm going to have. I'm not going to allow those things to dictate how I'm going to interact with other people. We have this problem where we allow those things to affect then how we, we influence other people and our attitudes and emotions toward others. That's not the kind of life God intends for the Christian to have. Paul talked about this in Philippians with the, the church in, in Philippi in chapter 4 of Philippians. He says, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. And then he says, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything, I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. There's one word I want you to pay close attention to in this passage. It's used a couple of times, and that is the word learned. I have learned how to be content. I have learned the secret of living in every situation. Why is it a secret? Because not many people know how to do this. Paul said, I've learned this. I have learned how to be content, regardless of what's happening around me, regardless of my situation, whether I have a lot or I have a little. I've learned how to be content. This is something that you can learn to do, something that you can choose to do. Now, it's not easy, and it takes practice. It's a little bit like a muscle. You know, with a muscle, you have to exercise it to get it stronger and stronger and, and get it to grow bigger and bigger, and contentment is like that. It's something you have to learn. Paul didn't say he just flipped a switch one day and all of a sudden he was perfectly content at everything. He had to learn how to do it over the course of a lot of situations and challenges and, and difficulties. And here's how that works. You choose something that you're discontent about, whatever it is. 
and you make small choices in your life to choose to be content in that area in some way. So for instance, maybe there is something that you desperately want to have and wish you could have, and you actually have the ability to go get it. You have the ability, you could go buy that thing if you wanted to. And maybe it's a small thing. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's you know, 50 bucks or 100 bucks or something like that. I'm not necessarily talking about a new car necessarily. But you could go get that thing. And so you decide, you know what? Because this is an area I struggle with in discontent in my life. I want to train myself to be more content. And so you know what? Instead of going and buying that thing that I would really like to have, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to take the money that I would have used on that thing that would temporarily satisfy my desire to have that high from getting that item. And I'm instead going to use that to help other people. And that little act exercises your contentment muscle. And you do that once, it's going to be easier to do the next time. Your contentment muscle is going to grow, and you're going to train yourself, discipline yourself to learn to be more content in different situations. It works with other things too. There are other situations where it's not about getting some kind of an item, but it's about some relationship that you want to have. And you just spend all of your time dwelling on this relationship that you wish you had and this other person hasn't. Why can't you have that in your life? And so you just decide one moment and you pray about it. And you say, God, I'm just going to try to spend five minutes not dwelling on that. <laughs> just give me five minutes. For five minutes, I'm going to be very intentional about not allowing that to kind of spoil my attitude. And you work on that and you build on that. And, and, and you kind of go back and forth and you can't expect it to all work at once. A lot of people, they, they hear a message like this and they... They learn about something that they think they're supposed to do and they go and they try it for a day and it doesn't solve everything for them and so then they just give up. It's not the way any of this works. It's gotta be a continued pursuit where we're constantly exercising that muscle and learning to be content in these situations. That's what God wants for us. And maybe it's not about money. It could be about relationships. It could be about personal abilities. You know, I, I wish I had, I wish I could do what someone else can do. But choose to be content and learn to be content in whatever small ways will help you build that contentment muscle. Number three, contentment is about who you know, not what you have. It's about who you know, not what you have. What is it that drives contentment for the Christian? If it's not accumulating more things, that high you get right after you buy something new. If it's not about that, then what is it that can drive contentment for a Christian? Paul tells us in Philippians 4.13. Very famous verse, very often misused. Philippians 4.13 says, For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. This is that verse that you see in the, in the gym or the locker room, right? Christ will give me the strength to lift all these weights. It's that verse that gets misused all the time for whatever we want to use it for. But the context is that Paul is talking about contentment. He is saying, I have learned the secret of being content, whether I have a whole bunch or a whole little. And what is that secret? I can do everything through Christ. In every situation, no matter where I find myself, no matter what people are doing to me, no matter how little I have right now or how much I have right now, my contentment is not based on what I have. It's based on who I know. Because it's the relationship with Jesus that matters so much more than all of this other stuff. If you know Jesus, you really don't need much more than that. And if we can get to that point where we believe that and we rest in that, then it doesn't matter if we have a lot or we have a little because by comparison, all of that stuff is worthless. It's all pavement in heaven compared to what Jesus has done for us. So maybe you pursue Jesus with all your heart. 
And maybe God blesses you with incredible wealth. Wonderful. Use that to glorify God, to bless other people, and keep pursuing Jesus. Don't let the, the resources that he's blessed you with then become an idol in your life. And now that you have those, that becomes your focus and holding on to those and keeping those tight. Keep pursuing Jesus. But what if you pursue Jesus with all your heart and he doesn't bless you with wealth? Wonderful. Maybe God knows the best thing for you is to not have all the stuff you really want to have. Maybe God knows that if you got all the stuff you really wish you had, it would wreck your marriage or ruin your relationship with your friends or your kids or just be so bad for you spiritually. Maybe God doesn't just want you to not have things. Maybe he's protecting you from what those things would do to you and your heart and your circumstance. And maybe God knows better what's best for you than what you know for yourself. Whether God blesses you with lots here on earth or a little here on earth. First of all, it's not worth very much compared to what he has in store for us in heaven. And secondly, God knows better than we do. Just pursue Jesus. Either way. There's a third possibility, which is that you pursue Jesus with all your heart. And for a season, God does not bless you with resources. And then eventually he does. Because maybe, maybe right now he's got a lesson for you to learn. He's got things he wants you to grow and He's got some stuff that he wants you to understand before he kind of opens that door for some of those things. That is all possible. You know, that's the difference between uh, a, a variety of different preachers today. There are some preachers that will say God wants all of you to have lots of wealth and resources, and that's not what God's word says. But there are some Christians who are fabulously wealthy, and you would never know it, because they're not flaunting their wealth all over the place, and they're not pursuing wealth. It's just sort of happened to them. God has blessed them with it. And they've maybe started a great business, or they've been in the right place at the right time, or had the right connections, or whatever it is. And you wouldn't know it, because they're pursuing Jesus with all their heart, and they're using what God has blessed them with to help other people, and they're not making a big deal about the money. And that's wonderful. That's fine. But there are other people, other followers of Jesus who don't have much money at all and they're helping people by making meals for them or watching their kids or delivering groceries or being an encouragement and blessing in all sorts of different ways. And they may never have a lot of resources or money. And that may be the absolute best thing for them. God will use them in ways that he wouldn't use the other person and vice versa. Both are okay. But the key in both areas is are we pursuing Jesus or are we pursuing the stuff? Are we pursuing Jesus or are we pursuing the money. It's not about what you have. It's about who you know. I know that there are many families in our church right now, and maybe some in this room, and almost certainly some that are watching online right now, who are in difficult seasons of life. Could be financially, could be medically, could be relationally, but there, there's a lot of challenging things happening in our lives right now. And so there's a lot of reason to be discontent. It's very easy for us to look around at other people and think, why can't I have what they have? Of course, all we get to see is their highlight reel, right? We don't see all the B-roll. We don't see all the stuff behind the scenes. But it's very easy for us to become discontent with other people. And so what I want to do today at the end of our message time and before we take communion together is I, I want to put a prayer on the screen and encourage you to just take a moment and reflect on it. See if this is something that you need to pray to God today. Spend a little time with your heavenly father. And if you've been struggling with an area of discontent that you need to turn over to him, something you need to surrender to him, now would be a great time to do that right before we have the Lord's Supper together. Read this prayer. If you want to, if you're able to, pray this to God. 
And then we'll remember the sacrifice Jesus made to set us free. When Jesus died on the cross for us, he didn't just make a way for us to be free from sin. He made a way for us to have a really amazing, abundant life with him. He wanted us to have a full and enjoyable life. And our world thinks that a full and enjoyable life means it's all about the things that we have. But we know that it's so much more than that. It's about having a right relationship with God where we're living life his way and we're in communion with him all the time. It's about having great community with other believers in Jesus and having the kind of relationship where when we're we're struggling, we know that we can send out some text and people are gonna be right there to help us and we're there to help them as well. There's so much more to this life than just the things that we can accumulate. And coming out of the Christmas season, going into a new year, I can't think of a better thing for us to focus on as we tackle 2022 together. Let's work on having a strong relationship with God and with each other and not worry so much about the stuff and the money and the things that the world cares so deeply about. And of course, the reason why we can do that is because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. He died to pay the penalty for our sin, to take away that so that we could have a restored relationship with God, so that we can live a much, much better life. Not just in eternity, but starting now, starting today. If we believe in him, we have new life in him and it changes our outlook on everything. Yeah, we struggle with going back to the old ways of doing things. We have to constantly remember what Paul said about taking off the old self and putting on the new that Christ has given us. That's one of the reasons why we take communion together. Jesus implemented this practice so that we would never forget what he did for us. The sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and his rising from the dead to conquer sin and death puts all of our little struggles and desires and wants and discontentment into perspective so we can see how much bigger and how much better are the things he has done for us. Let's remember that today. I'm gonna pray for us and then we're going to pass out communion. And we're gonna do this today like we used to before the pandemic for the most part, okay? Um, And so we have two cups. We're gonna pass those out to you. You can hold on to those. You can separate them. The bottom cup has the bread. The top cup has the juice. And just hold on to those because we'll take communion together. Uh, But we are aware that some people are not going to be comfortable with taking communion that's been passed through the rose. So that's one of the difficulties of this. We we think maybe we've come up with a way to help with that. We'll see how it goes today. For the mask section, we're still going to be walking through and passing out communion so it won't be passing from hands to hands. And if you're sitting not in the mask section, but you don't feel comfortable taking the elements that are passed through your row, that's okay. We have a communion station set up right here in the back. There's a table with a tablecloth on it and and some communion elements there. And you could go there and take it at that station if you're not comfortable with taking communion that is passed along. 
Uh, we, don't, we don't know exactly how this is going to go. We're just trying to do something that's going to hopefully accommodate everyone. And of course, the real reason for this is all about Jesus Christ and the sacrifice he made for us. So let me pray. Then we'll pass out the elements and then take another uh, time to just search your heart, ask God to search your heart, reveal anything in you that you need to turn over and confess to him and repent of, and then we'll take communion together. Father, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is often overlooked as we go throughout our days. And I know for me personally, it's something I have to just be constantly reminded of. The little things that annoy me or the, the things that I want to have don't really mean anything in, in light of eternity. And so God, I pray that you would help us to see those areas in our lives that have taken a priority over you. Little idols that we've allowed to creep in whether it has something to do with entertainment or money or relationships or some sinful habit that we've gotten caught up in. Lord, I pray that today would be a day that we just surrender that to you and that your Holy Spirit would work in our life as we do our part to exercise the contentment muscle and the self-discipline muscle, to discipline ourselves as your word tells us to do so that we can live the way you want us to live and just have an enjoyable and abundant and fulfilling life here on earth, whether we have a lot or whether we have a little. Lord, teach us to be content in you. We thank you for the blood that you shed, for your body that was broken for us. Lord, we remember your sacrifice today. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm gonna read from Luke chapter 22. Luke tells us that Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, Luke says he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Let's take the cup together. 